Will you pray for us, Mom, to start? Uh, sure. <laughs> no, I think, you know what, on the way here, I was like, he's going to ask me to pray this morning, and I feel, I feel. If that is a burden, like I'm I come. No, it's not a burden, because I, <laughs> I need Jesus, and I would love to pray. Um, it's a good time to pray, then. Father God, thank you that you sustain us. Um, this morning, I've had the chance to just hear different pieces and parts of people's weeks. The stomach bugs, um, kids' emotions, behaviors, health and wellness of, of um, the parents. Um, and it's hard, Lord, but, but we're obviously here, and we're here by your grace and your mercy. And um, we thank you that that's given to us because you love us. And um, we ask for clear minds right now and um, honest honest assessment of our lives as we have been gifted this time to um, pursue you in parenting uh, our children and knowing that you parent us, Lord. So thank you, Father. Um, it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> All right. Only one chapter this week. Not that the chapters are really big, but we are only looking at mealtimes. Uh, so hopefully you had a chance to read it. Some really relatable things in there from our side. Do you want to share kind of how he starts with the, the story of the chaos? Um, oh yeah, in a restaurant. How funny was that? Did y'all read that? How he like takes his kids to restaurants and it was like, you never know. And then at one point he was like in this very echoey, he, like apparently where they were sitting was very echoey and he used like loud dad voice to like, sit down, behave. And it was just couldn't relate at I all mean, to any of this. Yeah. <laughs> and then it got to like the pepper game um, and how that had become a rhythm. How, but like it just kind of came to him where he said like, okay, we're going to play the pepper game. And um, whoever has the pepper shaker gets to talk. But if you don't have it, you can't talk. Um, and but that's just kind of some rhythm that he stumbled into with that. Um, but ultimately, he really started out with talking about, and I want to hear more about food and meals, and, yeah. and he really alluded to the fact that the Bible has a lot of, it. like, food and meals are very important, so yeah. can well, you share about that? Can sure, you say more? Sure, actually. Um, so, it's interesting, talking about something so mundane as, as meal times. that may, I don't know how that sounds to you, but it can be, like, not that big of a deal. He, it's, it's a really big deal, and he looks at scripture in particular for food in and of itself is rarely about just the food. It's about the relationships around the table. And that's really kind of what he's diving into here, the conversation, the relationships. One of the cool things, so I was actually preparing, I'm uh, doing a baptism later today, and uh, was looking, this is a, a great little book. This has nothing to do with parenting, but it does have to do with food. Uh, it's called Truth We Can Touch by Tim Chester, How Baptism and Communion Shape Our Lives. I found it really helpful for those who have either like no understanding of why are sacraments that big or um, maybe who have like an, uh, a more Catholic understanding that there's something automatic that happens in the sacraments. This is a great book that really kind of leans in to a, a more central thing. And what it does is it talks about, um, it talks about a lot of things, but it talks about the, um, it's kind of, there's a second chapter where he goes, the history of the world in 12 meals. Mm. And it's, it goes through the entirety of the Bible in, tw in like 12 meals, how it revolves around food. So the first one, you take a guess, creation, right? In the very beginning, 
there was a meal that they were meant to enjoy from the tree of life, and they ate an alternative meal, that the one that they were forbidden to eat from, and it brought terrible uh, consequences. Then he goes to fast forward a little bit to like Israel and Egypt, and the Passover meal was one of these keystone features of the Old Testament, where both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, I'm not going to go through all 12 of them, but like... Um, kind of what you do. Okay, well, I'll go, but like every time God does something significant in salvation, like he saves the people, takes them out of Egypt, he institutes, of all things, a meal as a way to remember it, which is just really kind of fascinating. So the Passover was that meal where they were to annually gather and celebrate what God had done, but it formed them intentionally in the story of God. They, they left Egypt and they were in the wilderness, and you remember God provided manna food from heaven. Uh, And then he gave them the law on top of Mount Sinai, and even there it says that um, Moses and Arad, Nadab and Abihu and seven elders went up and they saw God of Israel, and there was under his feet as as it were a pavement of sapphire stone like a heaven of clearness, and he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and they ate and drank. I'd, I'd never connected the dots that on Mount Sinai, at the giving of the law in the Old Testament, there was a meal. In the tabernacle, as they're journeying to the promised land, they had this tent, and that was where the special presence of God was. And in the tent was the bread of presence. It was food to remember uh, God's presence by. And then they get into the, the promised land. If you have read the Old Testament, you might have heard this refrain over and over again that the land that they were given was a land flowing with milk and honey. Again, food there. Exile was the time where they didn't have a meal. They were, uh, they were in exile on account of their sin. That was the judgment of God, and there was a famine. There was a lack of a meal. Then, in, uh, I'll fast forward to the Gospels. Jesus shows up on the scene, and I love this quote. So, uh, Robert Harris says, In Luke's Gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal at a meal or coming from a meal. You can read the entire Gospel of Luke and basically it revolves around meals. He's either coming from, at a meal, or going to a meal, which is kind of amazing. And then ultimately the story ends, the new heavens and the new earth, where we are feasting in the presence of God uh, with food that never perishes and uh, he is our very substance. So that's the whole story of the Bible from the lens of a meal, which is more than you, I didn't tell you about this until this, like I was just preparing for the baptism later and I saw that, I was like, I gotta share that. So meals are not always just about the food, they do something to us. And I think we saw that too, I, I was, that is sticking out so much if we've read the parent um, panel feedback, I mean that's something that they consistently said, was that their meal times were very important times for them. We are, we are, really not doing this well in our household right now um, for sure but well there's there's always going to be areas of gro- seasons and areas of growth and um, areas of strength that will change from season to season but as I mentioned my, I think my goal in this time is to try and have a clear mindset of where can be one or two ways to really lean into to growing more and um, I will commend to you if you don't have the go get the answers there in the back there I've been incredibly blessed by the parent panel answers there have been so many times where I was expecting it's just real honest and particularly there was one question about praying together mm-hmm. 
that if you, you read that later this week, um, I drew your attention to it now, but you can go ahead and read it now if you want. But it was, it was amazing because here are these folks that I look up to who do have children, and there's a sense of like all of them struggle with that. And I, was, I, I did not expect that, truth be told. So I commend those to you. So I think the first part of this chapter, I felt like it was kind of in, in two sections. Um, the first really does delve into just the nuances of a mealtime. And it, it's building this whole time of, of every little component can be held. And what, um, what's the quote you told me this morning? Good is the excuse for great. Good, good is the enemy of great. Good is the enemy of great. And, I mean, can I get that tattooed? Because I think this whole thing has taken me to a place of saying, I could do this good. Or I could really sit down and really think about um, each little piece in part and, and strive for something great. Um, but there was this two paragraph here that I'd like to read out loud just in case you haven't read it. But I think that this really hits that point. Um, that it says, and going off of what you've said, that meals are so important. What, what page um, I'm on page 59. Um, in the passing of dishes... We practice delayed gratification. In complimenting the meal, we practice the power of spoken encouragement. And that goes off of that he told his kids, like, you can't sit down and say, like, I don't like this, you know. Um, in withholding criticisms, we practice the virtue of silence. We are reminded that lots of things we think aren't worth saying. In roses and thorns, because he does the rosebud thorn, which we've heard, I think, in lots of different places in this church, is a, is a um, liturgy that parents and families are practicing. Um, in Roses and Thorns and Questions and Pepper Games, we practice telling stories, recalling memories, celebrating and sympathizing with each other. We practice forgiving when someone spills something again. And in waiting until we're excused, we practice sticking around even when we don't want to, the root of learning loyalty. Finally, as we help clean and reset the kitchen for the next day, we practice the truth that the gift of communal life takes the ethic of communal labor. We grow accustomed to the rhythms of work it takes to produce the relationships we desperately need. Behold, then, the way a noisy dinner table echoes with the gospel. Light from darkness and prayers from the mouths of babes, forgiveness and gratefulness, reconciliation and discipline, but none of it is sanctimonious, and all of it is real liturgy. I mean, that's just beautiful. But that, I mean, that's... I think about the messiness of our table is not probably echoing a lot of this. Ours is in a lot of laziness and hurriedness and rush right now. Um, how often I'll throw a meal on the table and let the kids sit down and eat because I'm going to use that as a babysitting time. Like, let this food babysit you and tend to you while I use this time to do something else. Um, we, we are far away from having, maybe we do this well twice a week, um, but I think what I hear in this, what I read in this, what I read in the parent panel, what I'm seeing, the value in the meal, makes me want to do better. I think we started, did you guys read about the candles? We started that, and we just got a candle for each kid, and they each get to light it, and um, this was something, too, if in children's formation, um, that I've seen whenever scripture is read, you light a candle and you say, Christ is the light. Um, but the kids loved it. 
and they still love it and we keep the candles on the table and they get ex- it's that's they're excited to have a meal because they're going to light these and it just it's a lovely time and it sets it sets us to the table well yeah he, he talks about that so all that you're talking about uh i think is what he calls the liturgical lens looking at uh so he first describes on page 56 through 58 what family dinner looks like and to sum it up it's a mess right and even with his intentionality it's messy and uh, there's lots of things in there but they're trying they talk about rosebud thorn so it's about having conversation he starts with uh, the candle and i i thought this was what stood out to me kind of in the part where he's saying yeah that's on the practical side that's what it actually appears but if you look through a liturgical lens something much greater is happening and on 58, he describes that. I thought this was so important. First, note that family dinner is not in any sense practical. That's a really important, like, yeah, there could be more practical things we do. It's far more efficient for us to have a microwave dinner on our varied schedules. But the tributaries of planning that lead to this moment of family dinner signal something. That communing, not consuming, is the household's center of gravity. And so it's those unspoken things that they pick up on that, that inform the center of gravity that form ultimately, again, what we love, right? And I, the thing is, like, uh, talking about the candle, you know, the kids are fixated on this tiny explosion of a match. We smell the smoke. We watch it burn. As it turns out, kids like fire. Um, that's a great thing, right? There's a reason for that. Like, but I love fire, too. Like, I'm, I'm staring at it. But um, there's something really... Uh, cool in the way that you it does draw us in and it's and it signals something important is actually happening here and he he goes into just and that's what the part you shared what are all those things that are actually being reinforced when we when we carve out a time we put our phones away and we sit together um, and if you haven't had a chance to read it at the back there's a little it gives the main idea and I I found the little things to try really helpful pages 66 and 67 um, so one of the things that he, he shared, Molly, was that this habit of doing meals together was a keystone habit. What is a keystone habit? Well, I don't know. You should talk about that. Well, I will tell you what a keystone habit know. is. Um, <laughs> you have a plan. Well, uh, he says it's, it's one of you, have you heard the term keystone habit? No? Okay. Uh, well, it's a habit that supports a lot of other good habits. Uh, exercise is a classic example he, he gives. Um, studies find that participants who were asked to exercise even as little as once a week without prompting started to eat better, sleep more, smoke less, and so on. So uh, it's one of those habits that if you put that in place, there's automatically ripple effects that tend to just happen naturally. And meal times are one of those. I, I thought this was really interesting on 54 where he's talking about the, the secular studies that have been done that link family meals to all sorts of positive family outcomes, better academics, better behavior, reduced drug and alcohol abuse. Um, I've also heard that the thing that most Rhodes Scholars have in common was that their families ate together. But this is not just a matter of resumes and academics. The effects of regular, regular meals are deeply, deeply spiritual. For example, Don Everett's and the Barna Group found in their study of Christian households that families who were spiritually vibrant shared one amazing thing in common. They had loud tables. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's hope <laughs> for, yeah. for us thinking, 
that's what yeah. these families who, and I'd be curious if the parent panel like had that same experience of, of loud tables. I definitely, I, I tend to have an expectation for order and like my, my def definition of beautiful is not like a loud, chaotic, disordered table time, but clearly that's probably something that is more me and I can do less of that in order to open up that space for more of the holiness and the sanctification that, that is coming through the mess and the loud. And I think about the thing, the practices that we've, we've done Rosebud Thorn, and um, we've also always had a deck of cards on the table, and oftentimes it will prolong just that, that holding of the dinner space. You know, as the meal finishes, as we've done Rosebud Thorn, we usually can transition into a game. And what I can reflect on now in seeing that that practice, and this can take us into our next point too that he gets into in hospitality, um, is that we, in our oldest daughter, we see her, her expectation when we sit down at a table, whether it's at our house or whether it's at McDonald's for dinner, is, well, let's do Rosebud Thorne. And she, when we go places, will be like, wait, let me get the deck of cards. And she's grabbing the deck of cards and we will play in a restaurant together. Um, and it holds that space well, like the pepper shaker. But he goes, ne his next point really starts talking about his, um, this guy Drew that became part of their Thursday night meals. And I see that in our own daughter when we have people over or when we eat with other people, um, she will sit down at the table and immediately look to the person at the table, Rosebud Thorne, what was your rose, what's your, and, and it invites in this, this hospitality because it's something talked about like the table becoming so much more and what they're getting out of it. Um, she's got that and that's because we, we've kind of held to the messiness of it. But do you want to talk about their friend Drew? Yeah, I was kind of like it sounded weird at first listening about their interactions. With I have them. things to say about that, but you do. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. So again, we don't always agree with everything, um, but no, I found so one of the things I took away from the hospitality piece is that this uh, the table that we're sharing as a family, and part of the role of the family is not always it's not to be insular. It's not it's to always have an outward focus to bless the world, and one of the easiest ways to do that is by having an extra seat. He talks about and. And not simply, you know, I remember starting out doing youth ministry and I was working with a youth minister who I've been richly blessed by and she would, I was amazed that she, she was just told, tell these like middle and high schoolers, you can come over anytime for dinner. And I remember going to her house one time, this was wild and it stuck with me. I mean, you're, she's just like, come over for dinner. But she would make you feel like she had prepared for you to be there and she had these, she, um, had. she do you remember? She had these napkin holders and they had like a little insert and she would print your picture off and put it into the napkin holder. And when you would sit down at her table, like a casual dinner, like we're having pizza, she had a cloth napkin basket with napkin holders. And as people had come, she had just printed their pictures and, and saved them so that as they would come to her home, you, you were greeted at the table with a picture of yourself and a, and a nice cloth napkin. I mean, that's just, that has stuck with me forever. Like. Uh, the welcome, I felt like, wow, she really wants me here with her family. Yeah. Remarkable. Yeah. 
Oh, I bet they're y'all probably. I didn't put this question down for discussion, but I would love to hear maybe the stories that where you've experienced hospitality really well and what that was like, because it is powerful. And what's one of the things that the Christian Church is known for? I mean, hospitality—it's—it's it's loving the stranger, welcoming them in. And there's a great book. I think he, I bet he mentions it. Uh, oh no! Um, but the Gospel comes with a house key by Rosaria Butterfield is a good one. Uh, I think it's Christian Hospitality by Christine Pohl, P-O-H-L, is the one recovering this ancient practice of hospitality, particularly in our very fast-paced, frenetic, um, you know, bifurcated world where we tend to just be going, going, going. That was one of the things that stood out where he, he didn't just say, come over whenever. You almost have to go out of your way, and it was like, all right, Tuesdays. That's when you're going to come, and it's a standing weekly time and we've done this a little bit with college students and it's just been really easy it, it is so easy to actually bless others just by opening up your home and having a meal inviting them to, to i love the way he talks about um you know dorothy was so good at preparing and make you and i think southern hospitality we have like in our minds what that is like we're going to do everything for them and there's a difference between entertaining yep and hospitality, and hospitality is, he talks about that, inviting these people into your rhythms and that they're part of the family. I've, there's a quote, and I don't know, I've had it in my brain for so long that I don't know where it came from, but it says, um, it, hospitality is not to impress, and he makes that point too. You know, we don't, we don't do this so that when somebody leaves, what they're gonna say in the car about how great we are, right? Um, you know, hospitality is not to impress, but it's to bless. And so I think that's the essence that we hear in this story with Drew, that this family's rhythm, and he says this, like his rhythm was set. You know, they were going to have dinner at their house. They do this. They didn't upheaval a schedule in order to be able to invite this guy Drew over. They were in their rhythm, and Drew was welcomed into it, and it became this, this habit and this pattern. Um, I will say, as, as we've navigated um, hospitality and inviting people into our house, I don't think this has to be the model. You know, I mean, I, I at one point, I'm like, I think it would be weird. Like, I would not feel comfortable with like some guy, even if this is our friend, like playing in the house with our kids, with you not there, and I'm home, like cooking dinner. The intimacy level that I read in this was a bit overwhelming, um, and it was, it would, it would cause me pause for, you know, if we are talking about what we're modeling to our children, like I paused at this part. And I think so much as you enter into hospitality, you are front running conversations with your kids. I mean, we have to do this with babysitters, you know, like, hey, a babysitter should not lie in a bed with you when you are, are going to bed. And, and these things that like oftentimes as parents with young children, we're learning by our failures, but let us not fail. Like my prayer is that we don't fail in a way that a child is deeply wounded um, in a traumatic way, right? Um, so inviting anybody into your home, you know, yes, we want hospitality, but we also need the wisdom of discernment that, that our priority is, is to protect our children, mind, body, and soul. Um, and I think Rosaria Butterfield, if you've read that one, that one shook me too. Like that she is, she is radical hospitality. Um, I, if I'm remembering in that book, it was talking about inviting I actually don't want to say it because I don't want to like misspeak, but it was just ra a radical level of invitation that I gave me pause to what I would be exposing um, my children to possibly. 
So that's the balance that I weigh yeah. in this. Yeah, I think that's, so there's always a level of risk when you invite a stranger into your home, I think, and that's what hospitality is, but it, loving the stranger. Um, people you invite rarely are actually strangers, and I think that's fine. But So there's the balance of welcoming those who are not in your nuclear family into your home as if they were family, but you have to navigate this balance of there are still these boundary, boundaries of this is what it means to be our family, and, and we love these folks who are coming in, and they, we're going to treat them like family to it in a sense, but without blurring those boundaries. Yep. I think that's kind of what you're yep. saying. So, um, any other points that you take away? I have no away? idea. Oh, I think it's good. pretty close, yeah. yeah. You guys can talk now. Okay. Um, well, there's discussion questions that are in there, and all right, everybody, it's 10.15 right now, so I'm gonna have to scoot, but let me close us with a word of prayer. Uh, only five pages to read for next week, so if you haven't done any reading, you can do next week. You can do that. Um, I didn't say that. You said well, we, that. We could read it to you. It's a very short yeah. chapter. Um, and it's it's not in the habits of the household. It's going to be in the J.C. Ryle book. One of the things that you know, as we were thinking about what's important to talk about in a semester on a parenting class. I love so much of what it talks about, the rhythms in our home, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about how in the world, and you're really going to be the one that talks a lot next week, you don't because I just go sit up in the front and lead church, which I think is really, I would like at least to be in the pew um, if my so boss lets me. Right now. That needs really to happen. But uh, So not just the importance of church. I mean, we think about what all happens in a meal with our children. There's just that same thing and more of when we actually participate in church with our children. And so we'll talk about not only what all is going on, the importance of it, but how in the world practically can you do that? If you have little ones, you're probably asking that. And I don't know how to answer that because I don't do it. So you will be able to uh, speak it. Yeah, we got it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, the Lord be with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the good news of the gospel and that in our uh, sins and our trespasses where we've fallen short, you seek after us and you forgive us. Lord, we need to hear that every day as parents. And we thank you for the gift and the, um, the task you've set before us to be examples and to teach our children that they would, might know you. We entrust them back into your loving hands. Help us to, uh, as we depart, to think clearly about some of the things we've heard today, to be able to communicate with our spouse what might be one or two ways we can begin to implement um, something in our growth and when it comes to how we, how we gather and eat together. Lord, we pray all this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen.